Please pray with me this morning. Speak to us, O Lord, we pray. May your Holy Spirit impress on our hearts and in our minds the depth of your love for us and for all people. Give us ears to hear your word this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. What would you do for $20? What would you do for $20? This question was posed in a movie that I watched this week, so I got curious. I typed this question into Google just to see what would come up. And I have to tell you, people will do some really bizarre things for $20. One guy got an eyebrow shaved off for $20. Another guy licked the bugs off the fender of a truck for $20. What would you do for $20? Would you scrub a toilet for it? Would you wash the church van for it? We might be able to work out a deal. Would you sing a song to a stranger for it? What would you do for $20? How far would you be willing to drive for it? Would you go to Olean? Would you drive to Cuba? Fillmore? Now, would you do those same things for a penny? What would you do for a penny? Most of us wouldn't do much for a penny. It's just not worth that much. The most frugal among us might possibly bother to stoop and pick up a penny if it's right in front of us on our path, uh, but we probably wouldn't go out of our way to go find a penny. In fact, pennies can be kind of a hassle. They can be, uh, you know, kind of a problem sometimes. You have to collect an awful lot of pennies and find a place to put them for just a little bit of value in return. It's It's a lot of work for just a little bit in return. Most of us like $20 bills. We don't much like pennies that much. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that when it comes to money. But all too often, we treat people like that. There are people around us that we see as $20 people. And there are people around us that we see as not much more than pennies. Who are the $20 people in your lives? Who are the people that you see as valuable, people you want to be around, people who are worth your time and effort to get to know and interact with? Who are the penny people in your lives? Those people who really aren't worth much to you, those you won't go out of your way to get to know or interact with, those you just don't really want to bother with because they might mess up your neatly ordered Christian life. In this story of Peter and Cornelius recorded here in Acts 10 and 11, we learn along with Peter that in God's eyes, there are no penny people. Peter was a Jew, and most Jews thought of themselves as God's special chosen people. All others were outside the covenant, beyond the scope of God's love and care. At worst, they were viewed as enemies of God, and at best, 
They were viewed as as God-fearers, non-Jews hoping for a little mercy and grace along the way, uh, however grudgingly given and however limited their access to that. So Peter didn't fully understand that from the very beginning, God chose Israel to be his people so that in this world, there would be a group of people who knew God and could make him known to the rest of the world. Peter and most Jews didn't understand that they were to be his witnesses to the world. It's true that that we look at the Old Testament and we see the law. And and it's true that God put in place certain restrictions. And he told them to come out and be separate from the world. But Israel's separateness wasn't because they were better than other nations or because God favored them more. It was so that other nations could see what God is like. And know how vastly different the Lord is from the gods that they served. God stepped in and said to Israel, I'm making you my $20 people. So that you can show the rest of the world who I am and how much I value my creation. I want you, Israel, to let the nations of the world all know I want them to be $20 people too. But Israel sorely missed God's plan and most interpreted as if God had said, I'm making you my $20 people, my special favored ones, and all other nations are just penny people to me. They wanted to view God sort of as their own private deity. And so Peter and the other Jewish Christians at that time still didn't really understand that Christ had died to save all people everywhere, not just the Jewish people. But here in Acts 10 and 11, we see things beginning to change. We see God taking the initiative to drive this point home. This issue was so important to God that he sent an angel to this centurion named Cornelius. And he spoke to Peter in a strong vision. An angel appeared to Cornelius, who was a God-fearer, a Gentile who respected the Jews and did his best to, to follow God and keep the law. The angel told Cornelius to send for Peter, who was staying in the home of Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. The scriptures don't tell us why he was Tanner, but I'm guessing it's because he lived by the sea and got a lot of sun. Okay, sorry. I couldn't resist my poor attempt at humor. A Tanner was someone who worked with leather. And as such, they were often looked down upon by Jews because they handled the skins of dead animals, making them unclean, according to the Jewish law. So the fact that Peter was willing in the first place to stay with Simon the Tanner must mean that God was already at work in his heart in some way, breaking down his prejudices and and preparing him for this encounter with Cornelius. Then, while the men who were sent by Cornelius were on their way to get Peter... God gave Peter a vision. Peter had gotten hungry while he was praying. And while his lunch was being made, the scripture says he fell into a trance. Verses 11 to 15 say, He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. 
The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Well, this happened three times, and while Peter was still thinking about this vision, the men sent by Cornelius arrived and asked for him. At first, Peter didn't know they had come since he was on the roof praying. But verses 19 and 20 tell us that the Holy Spirit told him they were there. Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Did you catch that? For I have sent them. These men had come from Cornelius, but this whole event was directed by the Holy Spirit. Here again, we see God's divine initiative at work. So Peter went with these men, and when he arrived, he found a large group of Gentiles there waiting for him because Cornelius had gone and invited all of his close friends and relatives. Well, Peter said to Cornelius, you, you are well aware that it is against the law, for, uh, against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And after Cornelius explains why he sent for Peter, Peter says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter then goes on to share the gospel message, peace through Jesus Christ, portraying the crucified and risen Jesus as both the savior of the world and the judge of all people everywhere. He is Lord of all, not just the Jews or Jewish Christians. And the scripture tells us that while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, those penny people. God had to do a mighty work to break through Peter's long-held and, and probably subconscious prejudices. He was more than likely blind to them, and even more so with those Jewish Christians who had come with him. But God opened their eyes, and he made it clear that he loved these Gentiles, these outsiders. In love, he broke down the barriers that prevented them from having access to the gospel. You know, for as long as anyone can remember, people have used God as a way to draw lines between us and them. And as human beings, we just love to imagine that, that God is on our side of the line. It puffs us up. It adds weight to our lives. And it's pretty easy to justify scorning, mistreating, or neglecting those on the other side of that line if God is on our side of the line. Time and again throughout history, God has made a point of crossing these lines and letting his people know of his love for outsiders. Time and again, God has fairly shouted his desire to save all who would come to him. Rahab the prostitute, Ruth the Gentile widow, the widow of Zarephath and Sidon, the heart of Baal worship in, in, Elijah, in Elijah's time. Naaman, the Syrian general who had leprosy. All of these are examples of God reaching out to outsiders. 
The birth of Jesus was announced by angels, not to the religious elite, but to outsiders, unclean shepherds living in the fields. And the magi, those foreign stargazers, uh, they came from another country and they worshiped the Christ child. These us and them lines were all over the place in the Roman world of the New Testament. There were lines between Jew and Gentile, between men and women, between slave and free, between Roman citizen and everyone else. Jesus crossed these lines freely and regularly. He interacted with Samaritans and Romans, tax collectors and sinners. That is in part what got him killed. The world today still loves its us and them God lines, doesn't it? Just take a look at the paper or just watch the news. Sunnis and Shias are back to blowing each other up in Iraq. Christians and Muslims war with each other in places like Nigeria or just a few years ago, the Balkans. Jews and Arabs shoot at each other and lob rockets across their borders in the Holy Land. Protestants and Catholics have been shooting each other in Ireland for many years. And the list could go on. And it's all done in the name of God. But let's come closer to home. What about the church here in America? We draw God lines too, don't we? How many times have we seen churches become narrow and private, internally focused and unwelcoming of anyone that's different from them? Sort of like elite spiritual clubs for like-minded people. What about us right here in Houghton? What us and them lines have we drawn? What us and them lines do we draw as a church, as a community? What barriers to the gospel have we put up that God in his love would have us tear down? Are there barriers we've put up between us here in Houghton and people in surrounding communities, Fillmore, Belfast, Ormel, or other towns? Are there race barriers, gender barriers, intellectual barriers, social uh, economic barriers? Maybe there are age barriers or, or talent barriers. Do we have some of these barriers right here within Houghton itself? Or consider these scenarios. How would we respond if a family of a different race moved in next door? Would we be tempted to move to another neighborhood? How would we respond if a, a physically dirty person sat next to us in church, a person who clearly hadn't showered and, and whose clothes hadn't been washed in a while? How would we respond? How would we respond if we learned that a registered sex offender was worshiping among us? Are we willing to open our lives to the messy lives of other people in order to share the love of Christ with them? Or do we draw our lines and put up our barriers? You know, it's very possible that we could be blind to our barriers, the barriers that we put up, the lines that we've drawn. After all, it's, it's a normal, necessary part of life to have parameters, to have boundaries in place. We all have certain boundaries, certain parameters within which we live. Boundaries are actually good. They're not a bad thing. 
And particularly in the cultural climate in which we live, we in the church have to be careful to honor and respect God-given boundaries. Far too many in the church today have sacrificed biblical truth in the name of tolerance. Far too many in the church today have attempted to tear down God-established parameters, gutting the heart of the gospel in an attempt to be inclusive. The Christian faith, by its very nature, is an exclusive faith. You can't just believe anything you want and still be a Christian. After all, sin is still sin. And Jesus was very clear in the Gospel of John when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Miroslav Volf says of Jesus, he was no prophet of inclusion for whom the chief virtue was acceptance and the cardinal vice intolerance. Instead, he was the bringer of grace who not only scandalously included anyone in the fellowship of open commensality, but made the intolerant demand of repentance and the condescending offer of forgiveness. So we have to acknowledge and accept the fact that the gospel itself will be a barrier to some people, namely those who refuse to accept the lordship of Christ and his offer of forgiveness that Peter proclaimed to Cornelius and his relatives. But the offer of salvation through faith in Christ is not exclusive. It's open to anyone and everyone. And anyone and everyone who accepts that offer of salvation will indeed be saved. Most of us know this. We know that God doesn't show favoritism. We know that God is no respecter of persons. Yet still we draw our lines. Like the Pharisees of old, we hang on tight to our notions that, that we're somehow favored by God above others. So we draw lines and we put up barriers. Why do we do this? Well, a few possible reasons come to mind. Perhaps fear. We don't want our children to be contaminated by, by all that's wrong in the world. If we can control who's in and who's out, we can make the rules and call the shots. We imagine we can create and live in, in sort of a bubble of purity and control just how much sin we allow into our lives. And we certainly don't want to allow the church to become impure by letting in people with messy lives or misguided theology or ideas that challenge our notions of what God is like. Fear is a reason that we put up our barriers or draw our lines. Or maybe just busyness. Maybe just busyness. Our lives are too busy to cross the lines between us and them. We're already doing lots of good things, mostly for the Lord. And because we're so busy serving him, we simply don't have the time or the energy to reach out to them. Busyness. Or for some, it may just be an issue of fairness. We want grace to be fair. And we don't like the fact that God loves those people who don't love him back. That's not fair. It's not fair that sinners should be in the in-group after all they've done when we've remained faithful the whole time. 
We can be an awful lot like the older brother in the prodigal son story, can't we? Well, thankfully, the very good news for all of us is that grace isn't fair. That's good news. What if Peter hadn't listened to the Holy Spirit? What if he had never gone to Cornelius' house and shared the gospel message? What if Peter and the other apostles had kept the good news to themselves, keeping it solely for the Jews? The world would be a very different place, to be sure. Christianity would most likely be very small in number, probably confined to to the Middle East, and you and I wouldn't be worshiping the Lord in this sanctuary today. We, We may well have been out sacrificing an animal under a tree or something today. I don't know. The point is, it's good news for all of us that grace isn't fair because we too were once outsiders. We too were once on the wrong side of the line. We too were once penny people. We too were once objects of wrath without God and without hope in the world, condemned to die for our sins. You and I are here this morning because God broke down the barriers between Jew and Gentile in the days of the early church. We are living proof that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Several years ago, I heard Jay Strack, an evangelist, tell of going to a maximum security prison to have a church service with inmates there. And he said that he had prepared a light message that day, a little encouragement from the scriptures, but not really much more. And he felt like it had gone pretty well, actually. But as the prisoners left the service that day, he noticed that several of the inmates had been sitting in chairs that had been covered with black cloth. Well, he hadn't noticed it until then, and he was curious about it, and so he asked about it. Those were the inmates who were on death row, condemned to die, he was told. And Jay Strack said, I was stunned. I had no idea, and I started to get angry that no one had told me that they would be there because I would have shared the good news more readily and more clearly. But then he said, as I thought about it, this truth hit me square in the eyes. Apart from Christ, every one of us is on death row, condemned to die for our sins. God shows no favoritism. He is no respecter of persons. Apart from Christ, we are all condemned to die for our sins. Both the good and bad among us, both the rich and the poor among us, both the smart and the simple among us. But the good news for all of us is that God is in the business of breaking down barriers to the gospel. He wants every person, whether us or them, to have access to the gospel and to be saved through Christ. There are no penny people in God's economy. Michael Linval, pastor of Brick Presbyterian Church in New York City, tells of meeting a remarkable man on a trip to Israel. The man's name is Elias Shakur. Uh, Elias Shakur describes himself as a Palestinian Arab Christian Israeli, and he's an archbishop in the Melkite Catholic Church. His life has been all about crossing us and them lines. At the time Linval met him, he was running a school and a college in a place called Ibelim. 
And Linval says, the school was remarkable because it's the only educational institution in the entire state of Israel where Christian students, Jewish students, Muslim students, and Druze students study side by side. Father Shakur said his school had to be this way because the God he worships loves Christians. The God he worships loves Muslims, loves Jews, loves the Druze. The God he worships loves agnostics, loves atheists, loves Arabs and Israelis and Americans. God loves them all. Linval goes on to describe an evening conversation as they talked on Father Shakur's uh, rooftop overlooking the hills of Western Galilee. He says, he told us that people in his part of the world often ask each other the question, what were you born He said, it's a big question there, and you're supposed to answer, I was born a Melkite Christian, or I was born a Shia, or an Israeli, or a Lebanese. But Father Shakur said that when people ask him this question, he always answers the same way. He always says, I was born a baby. He told us that, and then he laughed and laughed, laughed till tears came. That's kind of the point, isn't it? God loves all the babies. He shows no favoritism. He wants all people to have access to the peace that is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants you and me as Christians, as his people, to be the bearers of that good news. So as we pray this morning, I invite you to ask the Lord this question. Have any of my personal parameters become barriers to the gospel? And I encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to open your eyes and show you what in your life might be a barrier to the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in your love and grace, you broke down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles so that we might be included in your kingdom. Open our eyes to those things in our lives that obscure you and keep others from seeing you in us. Help us discern those parameters in our lives that might actually be barriers to the gospel. We ask that you would fill our lives with love for you and love for others and enable us through the power of your Holy Spirit to love all of those people you place in our path for the sake of your name. Amen.